Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on What Chaos, we're joined by Frank Vetrano. The Leafs are galvanized and bad. The Kings are hitting their stride and they're good. The Wild make moves. And finally, today's the day. It's Oil Shark Bowl, baby. Forgot about that. Smash every button you possibly can. Chaos! Howdy, what nuts, it's what chaos, and it is Oil Shark Day, Thursday, November 9th. I'm DJ, that's Pete. Pete, happy Oil Shark Day, you've been waiting for it. It's a big day, it is a really big day, I am quite excited. Does it not hit the same though? Um, you know, it, it, I was upset a couple days ago. I'm, I'm, I'm still excited because we got the game tonight. No matter what, it's still going to be insane. Uh, still a lot of high stakes here, especially... For the Oilers, less so for the Sharks, which I'm upset about, but it still means the world to the Edmonton Oilers tonight. I think that all it does is just means that this is now a test for the Oilers. They've got to go. Things aren't going well for them, and they're going up against Against a hot team. team, That's right. A team that has found its stride, is playing their best hockey of the season. You don't want to go into San Jose, which is where it's being played tonight. You don't want to go into the the shark tank and try to swim with the big dogs, but the Oilers are going to have to do it. What do we think the crowd's like in San Jose? Because there's probably not a lot of incentive to get to a Sharks game this season. I think it's our friend Kellen. (laughs) I'll tell you what. I will. I would pay exorbitant amounts of money to be at that game tonight. I know. Can we make a flight? I mean, yeah, the game's not until 1030. You get a party and a funeral and the, the, for the price of one ticket, we Man. could make it tonight. We get credentials, dip into the post game, and just be like, uh, Jay, look, whatever happens, uh, and then ask whatever question. But just make everything with like, hey, and if this is the end, just make all, all everything kind we of... We are going to be previewing the game a little bit deeper later today, later in the show, right? That was not a right? substantial preview for you? No, definitely not. I we have only more said say. the first name of one person involved in both teams. We'll talk Oil Shark Bowl. Of course we will. Who are you rooting for? We got the jerseys in there. Pete's got the my disgusting old Sharks jersey that has a million stains on it. Such a good jersey, uh, though. It is. It's wonderful. And I'm an oil man. You know that. We're joined today by Frank Vetrano. So we will be talking plenty of Ducks and their start to the season. And whether their rebuild is maybe donezo if they've arrived, 
such a fun team. Can't wait to talk about them. Uh, Kings also, if you watched last night, hitting their stride, really looking yeah. good. Uh, but we must start with the Toronto Maple Leafs getting off to an 0-1-0 start to their galvanized era. We know they got galvanized with that win. Oh, th- there you go, Sean. Great graphic. <laughs> <What a> graphic. <laughs> Leafs 0-1-0 since being galvanized. If you uh, haven't been following hockey or live under a rock, the Leafs blew a lead and still kind of sort of won in overtime against the Lightning the other night. I say that's a galvanizing win. Pete's got an argument against it. They have their first game since then, yesterday evening, hosting the Ottawa Senators, and they're tied 3-3 with eight minutes to go. Wouldn't you know it, buddy? They fucking got their asses kicked. They sure did. <laughs> it was, and the wheels came off very quickly. And like the thing about the Leafs, and I said this a couple days ago, is that they're just incapable of putting together a 60-minute effort. And the inconsistency with that team is staggering because the second that you think that they've seized control of a game, they will give it right back as easily as they took it. So you wanted to use this game to have a discussion about how the Leafs are not galvanized, right? You think that this can debunk the a common theory that the Leafs have been galvanized? I mean, you see it right there on the graphic, or you did see it. By the way, if you're if you're listening to this on Spotify or podcast form or whatever, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube. There it is. We have mm. great graphics. We have great production from our guy, Sean. So we want our those YouTube sub numbers. Either. Yeah. That's our, right. We, we, we've looked pretty good in the process. That's right. I'm wearing a gray hat. It's my first hat show. So um, nice. I mean, yeah. My first uh, tie dye. But yeah, show. I think the proof is in the pudding. They're not galvanized. They're all one and oh since being quote unquote galvanized. I think they are so galvanized. It's contagious because who needed to be galvanized more? I mean, the sharks or the Oilers probably, but like other than them, than the senators, this is a galvanizing win for the senators. They end up breaking through in the final 10 minutes of a game and really lay it on. They earn two goals in the final eight minutes and are given a third thanks to some fun goaltending from from Wall. But I think that the Leafs are so galvanized that it's spilled over into the Senators. Uh, You can have that opinion. Uh, We're going to be joined by our pal uh, Nick Alberga Mm -hmm. in just here shortly. Uh, Do we have him on the... We can be joined by him now-ish, I believe. Is he not in the mix? Not in the mix. All right, well, Nick's late. That's fine. Uh, We didn't ask him to come on either. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. We just expected him to be here. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that the the Leafs are galvanized, but we can get a second opinion uh, or a third opinion, I suppose. I did see that uh, William Nylander tried to shake things up by taking the train to last night's game. I did not know this. Uh, Apparently, this is a common practice for Leafs players because traffic is so bad in downtown Toronto, which I guess I've only ever been walkable to the arena when I've been there. So I haven't noticed like you can't get anywhere. But I saw Andrew Raycroft, formerly of the Toronto Maple Leafs, saying that this was his go to on weekdays. Uh, I I like spinning this in that into uh, Nylander is so sick of Toronto traffic that he is already looking ahead to free agency this summer, which he probably already is because he plays for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, where do hockey players rank? Do you think in the can go out in public and kind of blend in? Because to me, William Nylander doesn't blend into the furniture 
and that like it looks like an athlete is there because his legs are so fucking big and he's choosing to wear very very tight pants and he also plays hockey in toronto and i assume that leafs fans i I would guess that in toronto leafs fans have less uh comfort walking around the city as most other nhl places unless you're like Connor mcdavid of course i think it goes uh toughest to blend in basketball because of the height Hockey player could be number two because they have such like a, they just have huge asses <laughs> and they like look in shit. They're just like a weird kind of je ne sais quoi about the hockey body. And I believe, I think it was Emily Kaplan who did a story on how like they can't buy jeans and it's yeah. this whole thing. Football players could just look like really in shape dudes mm-hmm. who yeah, maybe you got a little have something to, be like to a them. Specimen to be a football player, and then baseball players you just feel bad for. You're like, look at that out of shape man. <laughs> That's right. I hope that you would never know that they were athletes. Uh, but we are joined now by Nick Alberga from Daily Faceoff. You could hear him on Leafs Morning Skate and Leafs morning take Leafs morning take that's what I said what did you say you said skate yeah that's right that was weird on (laughs) your part Nick thank you for joining us and look there's been a a real back and forth about whether or not Tuesday's victory for the Leafs over the lightning was galvanizing I think they're a totally galvanized team and they're good to go for the rest of time Pete thinks no after watching last night how do you feel about the galvanization status of your Toronto Maple Leafs uh, it's like a uh, shit yourself point, guys. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Congratulations, by the way, on the new show. Uh, it's been sort of uh, very fascinating once again to cover this Maple Leafs team. But uh, on the galvanizing meter, I'm not very galvanized right now. Like it's uh, it's an unmitigated disaster, truthfully, uh, defensively. Uh, and I think the biggest story here is like a lot of the players they've added have not gelled whatsoever. John Klingberg's having a tough go of things. Ryan Reeves in the fourth line. Tyler Bertuzzi's been very up or down, up and down. Max Stomi's their third line center now, but uh, it, it's ramping up here and it's getting louder and louder, boys. And it's just not Willie Nylander in the subway, by the way. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up the offseason additions. At what point do we start talking about uh, the Leafs offseason being one of the worst of all time? Because every guy that they <laughs> added sucks this year. Um, I, I think it's too early. Like I, you know, I always like to put everything into perspective and I'm usually the sky's falling guy, but I've learned in the last couple of years, specifically covering the NHL now for like 12 years, like you can't judge a team on a body of work that samples like five games or like 10 games. It's gotta be a season long thing. Like hell, I went in the last year saying Vegas wasn't going to make the playoffs and they go on to win the Stanley cup, right? Florida Panthers, perfect example shit all season they wake up for the last 15 games of the season behind their third string goaltender go all the way to the stanley cup finals so i'm a firm believer in getting it you know the job done at the right time having said that i think there's some glaring holes with this maple leafs team they need to figure out here uh, the most glaring is probably john klingberg on the back end mm. uh how much like leash does he get because obviously like a four million dollar deal in the off season uh, you know, he bench for, was benched for the final seven minutes of last night's game. He has been on the ice for 14 goals at even strength through 13 games. Yes. He's been bad and he's been a problem. And then Keith, after the game last night said, we have to protect him. Like, how, do you have to protect a guy that you just signed for $4 million in the off season? And like, how much longer does that experiment continue in Toronto? 
So I just finished uh, today's edition of Leafs Morning Take, and we talked exactly about that. Like, there was some troubling, troubling comments, fellas, from Sheldon Keefe, the head coach of the Maple Leafs last night. Among them was protecting the guy that they signed for one year and 4.15 million bucks. It was interesting. You know, we had Elliot Friedman on today's show, and he brought up the fact that the defenseman the Leafs actually really wanted was Matt Dumba. But at the time on July 1, apparently Matt Dumba was looking in the uh, late fives obviously lands in Arizona, at th- I think at three, eight, but to me, like the story there is like, what a contrast in players, right? You go from Matt Dumba to John Klingberg. Having said that, I, I just, I obviously they did their background work on this guy. Like he hasn't been the same player for a long period of time, dating back to his days in Dallas. We all know what went down. He got zapped of his confidence. The whole contract thing could have be set, could have been set for life, but He's coming off his worst season statistically of his career. He was dreadful last year, right? Started in Anaheim, then went to Minnesota. He was barely utilized there and then lands in Toronto. I understand why he signed in Toronto. Maybe he's the PP1 QB all season long, builds his value and signs a lengthy contract. But it's not working out that way. Uh, To answer your question, I think the, the leash is fairly long because of the injury concerns. Jake McCabe's battling his way back from a groin injury. Timothy Lilligren's going to be out for a couple months with a high ankle sprain. Uh, Connor Timmons is still a couple weeks away by necessity because they got nobody else who can play D. Like they got Simon Benoit up. They got William Lagason. Like they're really, really going deep into the depths of the uh, Toronto Marlies and the AHL to find guys. I think he's either going to play or they find something they can do with this guy. I don't know what they can do with him, quite frankly. They got to find a way to to protect him, I guess. There you go. I'll say winners and losers of this whole thing. Stonks up for Tyler Bertuzzi because we haven't talked about him yet. And as long as people are talking about how horrible an acquisition John Klinberg's been, they're not going to talk about Tyler Bertuzzi. But that Klinberg story fascinates me because Bertuzzi wasn't a July one guy either. He was kind of toiling and waiting to see if he could get that multi-year deal. He ends up slotting in with the Leafs who we all thought at the time, great signing. I wouldn't sign a power forward to any sort of long-term deal. You in Toronto knows that better than anybody with the David Clarkson thing. But it does tell me that maybe the Leafs didn't totally have like a dead set plan on these are the guys we need. And they ended up kind of taking the guys that were there, but they weren't one year, $1 million guys, the way that you usually settle. They ended up giving big money to players who possibly don't fit. Yeah. And I think the key there is that they're one year contracts predominantly to these guys. So like if they don't fit, they can move on. But the the one thing I will counter with is like, it's, it's really, really early. And I, I think a lot of these moves are made for the purpose of having these guys deployed in the Stanley cup playoffs, right? Your Bertuzzi's your Domi's of the world, Ryan Reeves to an extent, not really. He was never really going to be a factor in the postseason. So that's why I think I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Um, I, I think identity crisis is the best phrase to describe what's going on with this team because I think you're so right like they went into the season and they talked about piss and vinegar and how they're going to be so tough and hard to play against and it's the same old story but I think they sort of forgot the nucleus is the same and that seems to be a common theme with this team you have the core four year after year you can't get the job done so when do you start to point the finger in that direction something they probably should have done a couple years ago but uh, I think it's it's fair to bring that up because I think they're like a mix of individuals right now and they're trying to find their identity and they're having a hard time with it, quite frankly. I mean, you're a voice of reason, clearly. You're (laughs) saying it's early, but uh, it's never too early to panic in Toronto. Yeah. So what is the level of panic there right now with that fan base? And second part, 
I assume that there's anger. Where is the anger being directed? Because the good players are playing really well up front. So normally those are the guys that everybody gets pissed at. These guys need to play better. So where is the anger directed to uh, right now? So let me put it in the terms of your show and what you guys would appreciate. So like you ever had that big feed, your stomach's growling and you're like, fuck, I'm going to muck tonight. You know, I'm going to muck like 14 to 25 wings and I'm going to have a field day. It's that feeling like after you have that where you know it's inevitable, you're going to have to let go of those eventually, right? Like the time, <laughs> the time is coming. And guys, that's the feel around this team right now to put it into context. Like it's, there's a storm brewing. We just don't know what that storm's going to be. Uh, I think to answer your second question, Sheldon Keefe, um, people love pointing fingers in this market. It's really simple to do. And I think accountability is, is something I like to live by on an everyday basis, not just in the broadcasting world, the hockey world whatever it may be. I just, I think there's a lack of accountability where it's like, it's everybody's fault, but the players. And then last spring they said it was the players. And then, you know, the GM situation, Brad Living comes down and Brendan Shanahan wants to quadruple down on the nucleus guys, the core guys. Sheldon keeps taking a lot of the heat. I think it's obviously the clear card that can be used by Brad Living because Sheldon Keefe is not his guy. So ultimately, as we see time and time again, guys, in pro sports, the scapegoat, the true scapegoat always seems to be uh, the head coach. And ultimately, if, if they can't rectify this situation, I think it's Sheldon Keefe who's going to take the noise here. Well, it's a great conversation, Nick. I'll get you out on this. Why do you like the Leafs? It's <laughs> a good question. That's like all I've been thinking the whole fucking yeah. conversation. I'm like, yeah. poor guy. You can pick any it's team not, you want, pal. It's not you. Like any Leaf fan friends I've had. Like I've never had this conversation with them, yeah. but it's an overarching yeah. thing. Like, why do you fucking like them? So, man, the funny. No, that's a fair, fair question. And I appreciate that. The funny thing about me, I was actually born in Montreal. So I had the opportunity to be a Habs fan. My dad was a big time Habs fan. Thankfully, I was not. I hate the Habs. Maybe it's part and parcel to being a Leafs fan. But I moved to Ontario like when I was like five or six. So it was too early. So I became a Leafs fan, became a Matt Sundin guy. I'll be truthful around like the collapse there in 2013. They zapped the shit out of me. I was fucking finished. And I've never really fully returned to being a fan. As you guys know, I mean, I've been in broadcasting covering the NHL for 12 years. I get just as much joy as watching uh, a San Jose Sharks-Tampa game on a Sunday night than I do watching a Maple Leafs game. Obviously, there's extra intrigue. Love working in the market. Love, you know, socializing and talking with fans and talking about the team and then the, the normal days today. But it, it's tough, man. I, I don't fault anybody if they just want to jump off the ship because... <laughs> Like it's Toronto sports in general. You just don't like you can't good things do not come to you aside from the Toronto Raptors. And we all know what happened. Kawhi Leonard came in. He was the best player in the world at the time, did his thing. And then he fucking left. Right. <laughs> so and that's the problem with this market. It's like, why can't we just have one good thing? Have our fucking parade, you know, stick our middles, our middle fingers to the air to the rest of the world and say, hey, we finally did it. But it's never going to happen, is it? I mean, this is probably quite, not quite possibly <laughs> the most depressing end to this interview that I could have imagined, oh. but I thank you so much for it because you, nothing pleases me more than Toronto misery. Uh, thank you for having me. I will say uh, nothing is worse than agreeing with a bunch of Bruins fans. But again, <laughs> I won't lie. Love the culture with that team. You want to talk about identity crisis happening in Toronto? It's the opposite in Boston where you lose Bergeron, you lose Krejci, you lose Taylor Hall doesn't fucking matter your goaltenders make saves you buy into the system you buy into the coach so good on you boston but fuck you as well <laughs> Love you. perfect perfect nick alberga from daily face off you can hear him on leafs morning take you are the best we hope to talk to you again soon
Thanks, guys. Good luck. And uh, again, congratulations on the new show. Take care. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's our first live. I, know, I was going to say congratulations in. on being the first uh, first like live guest. I really – like we had to rap where we rapped because if we didn't, I there were so many follow-ups to the Leafs conversation yeah. about – like and the point he made about the Bruins is right. We haven't really made it yet even though we had Brad Marchand on the show. Like for all the change that team has yeah. undergone, they just have so many fucking lieutenants yeah. that like if you get rid of the captain – I'm so glad that somebody else said it because if we said it, it's they, everybody would listen and be like, these guys are annoying, Bruins, Bobos, whatever. Yeah. So I'm glad it came up from somebody else. Uh, but, I mean, he's right. It, we're, we're spoiled as Bruins fans that just they somehow haven't completely fallen apart yet. You know uh, why else we're spoiled? Because we got Olipop here. Oh, damn. Okay. No, <laughs> just because we're, we're duck boys. We we'll are talk about boys. Olipop in a second. I mean, outside – of the advertisement, I will talk about Olipop anyway. You yeah. know that. But we got Frank Vetrano <laughs> on the show, and it's an opportunity for us to talk about the Ducks and the start they're off to. They're 7-5-0 and to begin the season in a playoff position in the West, and you might say it's a little too early to be talking about playoff position, but Sean, we are just a mere two weeks If the, if the Ducks keep going the way that they're going, they're a playoff team, which is so much fucking sooner than we thought this rebuild would be wrapped. They were supposed to get fucking Connor Bedard. If you don't know, they had the best odds in the lottery. Didn't get him. Mm -hmm. They get the second overall pick instead. Kind of not necessarily go off the board, but in opting uh, against Fantilli, kind of turned heads. But look at the start they're off to. Yeah. I mean, they're, I, I'm not ready to fully buy in to say, like, this is a playoff team. <laughs> yeah. But, but I will say, like, if their goaltending holds up, I, I'm a little concerned about their back end, what they have on the blue line. But if their goaltending holds up, Pavel Minchikov has been unbelievable to start the year, electric. But if, they're, if their goaltending holds up and their defense is as good as it's been, or, as palatable as it's been to start the year. Like I can, I can see them being a playoff team. Their front, their front end is so fun. And even if they're not a playoff team, Pete, they are already over halfway to their wins. I know last year. Uh, yeah. It's, it's insane. Uh, they 23 total oh, I'm wins. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, regulation, 30 regulation wins. Right. Like so I think they're, I think they're over a quarter. They're over a quarter of the way to their, uh, their, their win total last year, but uh, obviously they had that, that big win streak came to an end, but like, this is still a good team. And the, the, I think the most shocking thing for me is that their goaltending is fourth in the NHL right now in terms of collective save percentage, which wow. like uh, I, there was so much talk about John Gibson and him falling off. And like, can he get back to the, to the guy that he, that he's been or was a long time ago. Uh, but like Lucas Doskal has been really, really awesome too, to start this year. So like if, if their tandem holds up, this could be a playoff team, which would kind of shock everybody. So Vetrano, we have today remote, and we got him yesterday, which is cool because a lot of the stuff we go in person and we do it, uh, and it's we drop it when we can drop it. We're able to talk, uh, and we'll get to him in a few minutes, but we are able to talk about like more things that are going on right now, which is cool. That being said, I want to get to the Ducks IRL, whether it's in Anaheim, somewhere else, I want to fucking watch these guys because their roster is so fun. Yeah, I mean, they're a fun young team. Um, you know, the the come from behind wins. What do they have? Like five come from behind victories mm -hmm. uh, on the season. Like they're 
they're a team that should not be as confident as they are. <laughs> like they're a young team. They were worse than the league last year. They have a brand new coach and they're who just, rocks who rocks. But like you look at that on paper and you're like, this team could once again suck this year. And really they've kind of come into the season. Look at looking at it like a fresh start. And it seems like they're all buying in. And we talked to Vetrano and asked him about what's been different under Greg Cronin. And like, it just seems like they're very excited to be playing in Anaheim this year. Well, I'll tell you what, Ollie Pop has been uh, buying into my mouth just straight in when I tip the can, buddy. I've got the cream soda going right now. And I, what I love about these reads, Sean like knows us, yeah. but I w- how used to us would you say you are? Uh, a decent. Any of our, I look over at you whenever Pete or I says a stupid thing that the other one has probably heard a million times. And yeah, like he, you're he, like you have like a little grin of like. I mean, I just, that was crazy. I've been doing this for a little bit. I can appreciate a good ad transition. Hell yeah! Well, we appreciate you, and I appreciate just fucking dumping Olipop right into my face. I've got the cream soda going right now. Yesterday, I finally tapped in. People in the comments and the chat were saying, "Deej, when you tapping into strawberry vanilla? Don't be afraid, boy. It doesn't bite, and it's delicious." Pete's tapping in right now. Me, cream soda. Sean is just hammering the grape. He is yeah, strawberry uh, vanilla is good. He is crazy about that. Love the grape. Great. And uh, I'm crazy about you using ad uh, using promo code chaos for 20% off your next Olipop order on drinkolipop.com. Olipop can also be found in over 22,000 stores across the country, including Walmart, Target, and Whole Foods. Five grams of sugar? Forget it. Less than that. Vegan? Yup. Does it work for keto? Yes, it does. So no matter what you got going on, it's such a good compliment to your meal, if you just need a little pick-me-up, you just want to get a little, you know what? Like if you're a help getting regular? Yeah. Let me tell you. <laughs> this is not a uh this is not a uh private, this is not a health and beauty care aisle podcast, but I've been regular as all get out. I've been the stuff that uh It's been a lot of poop talk on this episode. We got Alberga talking about the leaves aren't shitting. Themselves I was going to yet. say Alberga would love this part <laughs> yeah. of the ad read because it's me we've been coming in just like, hey buddy, how you doing? Crazy regular, thanks to Olipop. But like look, I'm not gonna overshare like not bad regular. No, like, like, like regular, regular regular. It's good regular. That's right. Get good regular, like me, Pete, and Sean. We guarantee it. No, I don't think you're allowed to say that. Chaos, 20% off. You know it. Olipop, uh, or drinkolipop.com. Here is NHL leading goal scorer, which he isn't, but like he's kind of close up there. He's the greatest American goal scorer on the planet. Frank Vitrano. Frank Vitrano. Frank Vitrano, what's it like being the best player in the NHL? <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but uh, no, this year's been fun. Uh, you know, living in California, play for the Ducks. Obviously, last year was was pretty tough, and uh, new coach and and all that stuff this year, and it's been a good change. And you know, we got a great bunch of guys. Uh, when you're in your upper twenties, established twenty goal guy, like, do you still think that you have it in you, and that like you will be the leading goal scorer type? No, I, I like to always take it, you know, one game at a time and all that stuff. But for me, I always, you know, I want to score 20 goals every year. And 
you know, once you hit 20, everything after that, it's great. You know, obviously you want to score as many goals as possible and, and help your team win. And, uh, you know, for me, um, like you said, late 20s, almost 30 here. So, you know, I want to play this game as long as I can. And as long as my body's up to it and, you know, and, and I feel good on the ice, I'll, I'll try to play this game as long as I can. Uh, you guys obviously had a tough year last year, but have been fun as hell to start this year. Uh, when you signed with the Ducks, what did you envision the timeline being like? Um, because, you know, obviously you signed f from a contender with the Rangers and uh, Ducks were a younger team. What were, you, what were you envisioning when you signed in Anaheim? No, it was actually with the situation that was going on in Anaheim, it kind of really reminded me of when I first got to Florida. Um, you know, we had a lot of guys that were kind of entering, you know, they're, I wouldn't say mid-20s, but around 24, 25. And, um, and I saw that here. We were obviously a little bit younger, but I saw the pieces that we had coming in. Obviously, we signed Stromer that summer, and you know, we had Zegers, Mac T, and Cam Fowler. has been here a long time, Troy Terry. Um, you know, I can go on and on with, you know, the younger guys that we have here. And, and Pat, the GM, has done a great job of drafting younger players. So, you know, you can see it this year with the younger guys we've added to our lineup has been have been huge for us. And, you know, with the younger team, obviously, it takes a little bit of time to be a playoff contender. But, you know, the way we've been playing this year, you know, looks like we're in the hunt and we want to keep going. But, like I said, I, the situation coming here, it reminded me of Florida, and I was excited to be a part of it. The, uh, you mentioned Mac T. The uh, the Mac T hype train has been in full uh, full steam ahead this season. Say something bad about him so that we can get more attention on you and, and how well you're playing. Oh man, <laughs> I don't know if I could say anything bad about the guy. I even though I want to really bad. I mean, I the only thing I could really say bad about him is he's what is he twenty years old? He looks like he's forty five. But <laughs> that's right. Really that's really the only bad thing I can say about the kid. He's a great kid. You know, he's a future leader of this team. Um, I'm fortunate enough to play on his line, have a really good relationship with him. He's got a great sense of humor and, um, you know, get along well. What's different this year under Greg Cronin? Cause obviously, uh, you know, the change has been, you know, fruitful so far early in the season. Uh, what's it like been playing for him? I think accountability is basically the one thing that sticks out to me the most. And I think that's something that, you know, kind of lacked last year was accountability and playing the right way and being a good, prof good professional every single day, not just in games, but in practices and what you do in the weight room, what you do off the ice, what you do when you go home. And, um, you know, just all the older guys talking last year and how it was like when we were younger. And for me, you know, when I signed in Boston, like I signed with a team that had a great culture and, you know, they taught me how to play in the NHL, what it takes to play in the NHL every single day. And I think that's what Crow kind of brings to the table is, he preaches not just on the ice stuff, but off the ice habits and what he expects from us every single day. And some days is hard. Some days he's, I mean, every day he's completely honest with you. So you know exactly where you stand. And I remember me as a younger player, I wanted honesty. And sometimes you don't get that at a younger age with the relationships that you have. But I think even at a young age, when you have the honesty from the coach, you know, you can become the player that you want to be and strive to be when you have the honesty and knowing what you're doing to and what you need to do to be successful rebuilds aren't always incremental I, like it's not like every year you add another young player you gain five points in the stands like it seems like the team just kind of goes from in a rebuild to like oh shit they've arrived do you think that this group can be there absolutely i think the i think we've surprised a lot of teams we're hard to play against and obviously i think we're seven and five now and you know, we still got a long, long road ahead of us. We, it's an 82-game season, so anything can happen. You know, you get hot at the right time, you get cold. It's for us just to be consistent night in, night out, uh, being hard to play against. And, um, 
you know, like you said, I think I'm, I talked to Stromer about this when I got to New York. It's like they were in that rebuild for however long it was. It was like a smaller rebuild, and all of a sudden they're playing in the conference final a year later. It's like it kind of just comes upon you that your team's ready to play for a Stanley Cup. And um, obviously it takes time, but like you said, the rebuilds kind of just – they rebuild, and all of a sudden it comes to time where your team's ready to win. I've always wanted to ask this question of a goal scorer. You have two hat tricks this season – no games with just two goals. How does your game change and how does your mindset change once you've scored two goals in a game and there's more than like five minutes left? Are you like, I got to fucking score this third one. I'm not passing the puck the rest of the game. What's it like when clearly you're playing well and also like you fucking want a hat trick? I think it obviously it comes from your alignment. So like, hey, like you're going to get that next one. And as a, as a goal scorer, if you already have two, you know that if you get a scoring chance, you know it's just it's going to go in. It's just how it's going that night. The puck's falling you. You're getting all the good bounces. But uh, yeah, like goal scoring is a funny thing. Like you you can feel horrible going into the game, and you can get a goal your first shift of the game, and it's like you have this adrenaline rush that goes to your body, and it's like why can't I have this every single game? And I think that's been a a recipe that players have been looking for their entire career. Why can't I feel like this every game after you score a goal? But no, I mean, I think goal scoring is a weird thing. It comes in bunches. So when, when you're feeling good and you get one early, it's just kind of like you can't be stopped. When did your shot get awesome? Because I, I remember even when you came to the NHL, you were a very good college player. I don't get how, and I'm not just blowing smoke. Like I don't get how, a player with a skill as good as your shot goes undrafted. So was it like a later in life thing or when did that happen? Believe it or not, like people always ask me like young kids or even parents and, you know, sometimes even guys who play is like, how to like, like, what did you do? Like working on your shot as a kid? I was like, to be honest with you, like I didn't really shoot pucks as a kid growing up. I was always in the driveway with my brother and we, those street hockey balls you buy at the pro shop, like those little hard orange ones, like, that's what I use in the drive and I think that's what got my shot to where it is because when you have to shoot some of those balls actually in New England when it's hot in the summer the balls are melting and then when it's the winter the balls are super hard so like you had to change the way you shot the ball like for me I shoot off my toe and you know and I snap it so that's why my wrister's not like like Matthews who pulls and drags and Bedard who pulls and drags for me it's I just snap it so I think you know shooting street hockey balls is what actually made me get the shot I have now Fucking America runs on Duncan, man. It's always New England. <laughs> I got to ask yeah. you this question. Um, you've worn a lot of jerseys in your life, uh, in your career. What is your favorite jersey that you've worn uh, so far uh, to this point in your career? Definitely the blue shirt for the New York Rangers. Yeah. I, don't think it, uh, I don't think it gets any better than that, playing at MSG and playing at the most famous arena in the world. Like, that's playing in the nhl that's what professional sports is all about have you guys ever considered having a players only meeting in anaheim and being like we are only wearing the mighty duck from this point forward because like uh, you might not say it but i'll say it that your regular jerseys suck out there they shouldn't be sand (laughs) who who wanted sand i love the ducks but sand shouldn't be in the mix yeah, we, we, we love the old school logo. I think what they did with the new jerseys this year, bringing back the retro colors and kind of putting a twist on the the, Anna, the Mighty Duck head was really cool. And the guys love wearing the purple. I think we're actually undefeated in the purple, but I'm going to knock on wood. I'm not sure about that. Um, That's what I'm we saying, are, though. Like, have a, have a players-only meeting and be like, listen, the results are here. People love these jerseys. 
we're we're establishing this as a club. We're only wearing these moving forward. No, they look unbelievable. Even like all the fans and everyone's family, like those jerseys are unbelievable. And I think they're they're, they're iconic jerseys. They're, it brings me back to my childhood watching you know, the Mighty Ducks movies. So it's it's uh, it's really cool to wear them. I was gonna ask, did you have one as a kid? Because I'm a little older than you, but everyone my age and everyone around my age either had a Ducks jersey or a Ducks starter jacket. That was like the hot oh, shit. Oh yeah, that's the '90s for you. That's '90s <laughs> colors too. The old Ducks colors are like the '90s colors. So. My brother used to have, uh, my oldest brother used to have jerseys that used to hang on the ceiling and he had a Mighty Ducks one in there. And actually my dad, our, my parents sold their house uh, last year and he was going through all the old stuff and he's like, I found an old Anaheim Ducks jersey. So yeah, we had one for sure. So you're saying that our set is like uh, a, a child's uh, bedroom decorated <laughs> yes. essentially is what we've Look, done. I don't, see a, I don't see a Mighty Ducks jersey in the back. Oh, uh, we, 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 we have you know, just, just five, five Ducks right. over in the corner. So. I was going to, I have like a Team Mussolini bootleg I was going to wear. Uh, on the subject of uniforms, another thing I've always wanted to ask a player, what is it like selling your number to a player? Because you sold or traded 72 to Sergei Bobrovsky when he joined Florida and I have a lot of questions off this, but just tell me what that process was like. Yeah. I remember when, uh, I knew we were going to sign, not knew we were going to sign him. I knew we had a chance to sign him. I got a call. This is when Chris Pronger was working for the uh, Panthers at the time. And he called me, I was on the golf course and he's like, Hey, like we just signed uh, Bob. I was like, Oh, that's awesome. That's great news. He's like, Hey, like, uh, do you mind giving up 72? I was like, well, yeah, obviously you can have it. Like, <laughs> I, I have no affection to the number at all. It's the number I came with. Obviously, I like it, but definitely, uh, I'll definitely switch. And uh, I kind of put out a tweet and joking around, like, 72 is all yours. A Rolex would be nice. And then fast forward to October. Um, I think I said something about McDonald's in there, too. I, I go one of my stuff after practice, and there's a Rolex bag. And then a Rolex box, and there's a McDonald's bag with two double quarter pounders and two large fries and there's so much grease at the bottom of the bag that when I pulled it on my stall, like the burger and everything just fell right out. But, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely a good gift. He's a great guy. He didn't have to do that at all, but, um, you know, I was happy to give it up. It, it must suck though. Cause like, say you did care about 72 and I figured that maybe you didn't have too close of a tie to 72. You wore it when you came to the NHL, but you were playing for a team that had 77, which you've worn in places since retired. So like 72, not to say that it's a throwaway number. It looked like maybe a number that you just had and maybe didn't care a ton about, but let's say you did care about it. You're in such a tough spot as the new teammate of a guy to like hold it over and drive a hard bargain because then you're being a shit teammate. But on the other hand, the guy that you're given the number to just signed for $10 million a year, even if you wanted you couldn't have like really driven a hard bargain, right? I wasn't gonna bargain regardless. He has way more games, way more games played than me, and he's making a lot more money than me. So, hey, the numbers all yours. Was there a guy early in your career when you were playing, like whether it's development program, young, uh, like junior Bruins, whatever, and it could be a future NHL or it could be somebody who didn't make it, like. Was there somebody in that group that you were like, fuck, we're all going to be really good, but this, whether it's Seth Jones, whomever, like, is a fucking beast? That's such a tough question. Like like you said, I played development for Oregon. I think out of our 6D, I think all six of them are playing in the NHL. <laughs> so uh, I think one that sticks out to me is a guy that kind of flew under the radar his entire – I grew up with him my entire life is Matt Grizzlick. He's my roommate at the program, and – um I, I just remember when 
I think we were we were roommates at the time, and we were whatever. All those central scouting lists came out, and he was never on them. He was always undersized. And I remember what's it called? We were in the car, and his dad called him, who works at the Garden still. He's the best. Yeah. Uh, he called Matt. I was like, hey, like, like I was talking, I was talking to Swedes the other day at the rink. He's like, they would love, to, love the. They would love to draft you, you know, if you're around and like whatever. I think they didn't have a first, they had a, I think they picked Subi that year, but Grizzly would have been, I think they didn't have another pick to like the third round or something. Mm. And Grizzly, like, yeah, my dad just called me. It was like, hey, like the Bruins said to like draft me. Like third round, I was like, yeah, okay, like they'll draft me. And then draft comes around. He's not on any list or anything like that. And then what do you know? A third round comes around and Boston picks Matt Grizzly like in the third round. And I, I knew it my entire life. He was always undersized, but he'd play in the NHL. Like the way he skates, the way he competes. He's got one of the best sticks of any defense I've ever played against. So, you know, for him, a guy who was over, undersized and always overlooked to make a career he's made is is un- unbelievable. It came out last week in a report that the NHL is considering the World Cup of Hockey in 2025. Some are saying right now that you're the greatest American goal scorer alive. Of your generation. Even. That's yeah. right. Uh, do, you, do you have an eye on that? Is that something that you would be interested in, is playing for USA, especially when it's an in-season tournament? At least that's the, the report and the rumor. Yeah, absolutely. I think any time you can play you know, for your country, it's, it's an honor. And especially the way the world – I don't remember what year it was, whenever the last World Cup of Hockey was, but that was, that was a blast to watch. It was – it was great to watch that, and like I said, I wouldn't. You know, we got some good American sc- uh, goal scorers ahead of me, so you got <laughs> we got a lot of guys ahead no, of people me. People are so, saying. Uh, for me, I'm just you know, if I could, whatever role I could be on that team, you know, it'd obviously be an honor to play on that team. But you know, like I said, I don't want to look too far ahead. And if my number gets called to be on that team, and I'd love to be a part of it if that team win. Uh, do you still get a lot of pizza questions? All the time. Really? Well, time. I'm not even going to ask a pizza question. I'm just going to uh, – I'll set you up to say, what's the pizza like out there? And by the way, for listeners, his family owns a pizza shop. Talk about all the time. The pizza in California is not – it's not great. It's not great. Why? They don't have the traditional like New York style here. There's like a couple, but it's nothing like back home. Like you can go anywhere in Boston or even New England. You can go to a whole – like usually the hole in the walls are the best place, but you can go to like a – whatever – a little, I don't know, 7-Eleven's got great pizza in New England, so, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, just, I think in New England, you can go anywhere and get a good piece of pizza here. It's kind of, you have to track them down and find it. What do you, uh, what do you think is the best chain pizza? Because around Massachusetts, I know you're Western Mass, like, we, we, like, there was Papa Gino's everywhere, obviously there's Domino's yep. everywhere, like, LeBron's got Blaze now, like, yep. what do you think is the best chain pizza? Have you ever heard of Jets pizza? No. Jets? So Jets is like a Midwest kind of chain, and some some of the teams have it on the road. It's awesome. It's the best chain pizza going. Interesting. I'll be fucking. Would damn. you say the pizza thing is the most Italian thing about you, or is there like a secret? Like this guy is the most Italian guy in the world. No, I would say yeah, it's pretty my Italian kid from New England. Parents own a pizza shop. I don't think it gets more Italian than that. I'll tell you what gets more Italian than that. A hundred goals. And it's what you're on pace for, Frank Fatrano. We wish you all the luck the rest of the season. I don't know if you're on pace for a hundred goals, but it would be very neat. Thank you, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Jets Pizza Inc. doing business as Jets Pizza. That makes it sound very criminal. Yeah, right. From Wikipedia. <laughs> Not doing any favors. This is just a front. Is an American pizza franchise restaurant. It was founded in 1978 in the Detroit suburb of Sterling Heights, Michigan. Uh, brothers Eugene and Jeff. 
it looks kind of uh, like strip molly pizza, oh, not okay. like mall pizza, but like strip mall pizza. And strip mall pizza is greater it, than is it mall Detroit pizza. style? I don't because Detroit style pizza is very is a, very good. Jets is known for its square deep dish. Detroit style pizza. I don't like it calling it deep. Uh, technically, it is deep right, dish-ish, but, I mean, but it's Detroit's like a, a different kind of deep dish. It's like a Sicilian. Also, you say I notice you say Detroit, huh? Detroit, yeah. What do you I, say? I say Detroit, but I, both are. You say it like the uh, like the Pistons uh, a PA guy. D D Detroit, Detroit basketball. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, I say it like Eminem. Detroit, what? <laughs> okay. Uh, let's stay in the West where the wild. Are shaking things up. They trade Kalen Addison to San Jose. They get Zach Bogosian from the Lightning. Bill Guerin basically saying, we soft. Want to be tough. Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> I, I like the deal for the Sharks getting Kalen Addison. Because, I mean, if you're the Sharks, why not just take some chances? And uh, Kalen Addison came up as a pretty, pretty highly touted prospect. Hasn't exactly been uh, been fulfilling that to this point in his career, but he's still super young. And so I like taking a flyer on him. If you're, if you're San Jose low stakes trade too, it's just like yeah. a pick swap basically. Yeah. And Bogosian, I think will be fun out there. He's yeah. He's, you know what he is and he's, he's not going to, you're not going to change like the, the makeup of your team. But if you need a little, a little more heft on the back end, he's got you. Let's stay in the West. We're in the West for the rest of the show. So let me tell you, if you're like, I don't know, like a Panthers fan, Get the fuck out of here. We're not doing it. I kid. Because uh, we're, we're going to do Oil Shark in a minute, but we have to talk about the Kings. They beat Vegas last night. Seven straight road wins to open the season. Uh, second in the NHL in goals per game at 4.25. Sixth in goals against per game at 2.67. I don't know which is more stunning to me. But I guess overall, I'm just kind of not stunned by the Kings being really good. I said before the season, I, I think that if this team gets saves, they are as good as any team in the Western Conference. And I think this is a Stanley Cup roster. Uh, this team could absolutely contend for a cup this year. And I've been most shocked that they've not only have they gotten the saves, but Cam Talbot looks amazing. I think we're in like a Talbassance. It's Quite possible. I mean, he's got he's 36 years old. I was stunned. I, I knew I, I knew that he didn't get a big deal in the offseason. I was stunned. He got a one year, one million dollar deal. That sounds right. I know that he had a That's... bad year in Ottawa, but like goaltending is is hard to come by. And people love looking at what old goaltenders used to do and be like, well, we can give him a shit three million bucks. But they one all, million dollars. But recently they've all all those examples, maybe not all of them, have Haven't been really worked so out. bad that <laughs> yeah, I think fair. that like I, this is going to be the second day in a row I've mentioned Braden Holtby, but I think that like Braden Holtby and Henrik Lundqvist like, ruined second chances for star goalies everywhere. Maybe. I mean, Talbot's 36 years old. He's on a sixth team in four years. Uh, he's through 10 games this year. He's 7 2 and 1, a 930 save percentage with a league leading seven wins and seven and a half goals saved above average, which. He that's like he is in if there is a Vezina conversation already, he is near the top. He is a man. I didn't think that we'd have Cam Talbot conversation, but I'm so glad didn't that we are Cam Talbot Vezina conversation uh, in November. You and I got into a heated debate last night. And by that, I mean a two text exchange. I love Sean weigh in. I love that 80 on Pierre-Luc Dubois. 
I think that for where he is in his career, maybe a little, I don't want to say like lost is overstating it, but just like 80 on a Kings jersey. It. <laughs> it might not be overstating it. 80 on a Kings jersey. It just looks outrageous but also like tough and cool the word you're looking for is terrible it looks terrible their numbers are like so big and blocky that like he chose the two blockiest numbers like eight 80, and zero eight is the only one that would have been more like boxy but i always i i do appreciate 88 a better like skill player number right true like anytime you double up it's a pretty it's a pretty good look 80 just looks so weird on a like a skill forward. Like if we were at the Kings Pro Shop where we have been multiple times poking around and I saw that PLD 80 jersey, I would probably tap in. I I think you can tap in on Dubois in LA because he's been very good, and I'm I'm uh, I'm curious to see like what his ceiling is because I think we're still looking to see what his what his ceiling is as a player. But the the Kings as a whole, man, they have been they have looked really good. They especially defensively, them holding off the Golden Knights, and it wasn't a shutout, but it was it was like as close to a shutout as you could possibly mm -hmm. have without it being a shutout. So, um, you know, they, they're really impressive and, uh, I'm excited about, about what's happening in LA. Uh, speaking of King's centers, Andre Kopitar scores his 400th and Liam McHugh posed a good question on the TNT broadcast, which is now that Patrice Bergeron is gone, is Andre Kopitar the favorite to win the Selkie every year and he probably Selkie voting is kind of weird we can get into that in a second if the conversation goes there but like is he the guy that's written into the ballot in gray every year until you start typing and then you if you change it uh, else. I mean, I think that he's the first guy that comes to mind if you're trying to think of that guy, but I don't think that that guy exists like I think that's what made Patrice Bergeron so special is that he was there every single year and like he deserved to be there every single year. Andre Kopitar, we all know, is uh, like an unbelievable defensive forward. I don't even know if he's the best defensive forward on his own team. Philip Deneau is an unreal two-way forward. He also, and then now I'm getting like very PHWA in the weeds, like he one of the years that Kopitar won it, he absolutely should not, not have. Deserve, I think yeah. it was his first year. You should have won. Like, and, he, and he took it over over Bergeron. Right, like Bergeron. Had, and, and it seemed like fatigue. And there have been years where Bergeron won it where it could have been somebody else. But that was one where it was like, oh, wait, holy I feel like shit, no? with, with a lot of these defensive awards, like, uh, like the Selkie and with Norris, Sometimes it just comes down to like it's next guy time. up. Yeah, yeah, it's this person's time, and and like there is just more fatigue with those awards, and maybe it's just because like defensive metrics are are kind of harder to evaluate rather than points, where it's you can just yeah. have a lazy take and be like it's sort this guy's time. Of, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So. Uh, I I get in arguments uh, back when I was voting on these things where people be like, how is Shea Weber never won a Norris? That's so fucking weird. We kind of got to give it to him this year, right? And I'm like, hey, I agree with how is Shea Weber never won a Norris. He, but like, the answer is never, we just got to give him one. We're both Oscars guys. My favorite thing every year, not every year, but every few years is when Glenn Close is nominated for an Oscar. And people are like, how is Glenn Close never won an Oscar? 
And the answer is because she's been like the third best a bunch of times in her Which given is years. admirable. She fucking rocks. But if she wasn't the best, she doesn't get it. I will say, I think the answer to is Kopitar that guy. Yeah, for some of the reasons that you were hitting on of like, it's tougher to figure out who the guy is. And the way that the Selkie voting has been, it it's always like someone's turn to win it for a bunch of years in a row, you had Brindamore one back to back. Then the next three in a row were Pavel Datsuk. I think Bob Gainey won the first four straight. So I think it's honestly like every few years, hockey writers settle on like this guy, this guy's sick, right? <laughs> All right. So we'll just keep giving it to him. I'd hope that whether it's Couturier or other guys, like if there's repeat ones, it isn't just Kopitar all the time, but I do love Kopitar. He uh, fucking rocks as do the Kings. So we think that we're seeing them further down the road. Well, it it depends on the goaltending. It really, I think that the conversation hinges on whether you think Talbot's is his revival is for real and sustainable. And if not like, where uh, where are they getting their saves from? Okay, Oil Shark Bowl is tonight. We have been uh, previewing it and generating AI images. That one from Pete, very good. There's also, if you go on our socials, we did some more uh, team name mashups because Sean noted Oil Shark goes extremely hard for a team name. So we mashed up a bunch of team names, generated AI stuff. It's on our Instagram, I believe, but... Uh, you could find it wherever you find our shit uh, meant to get in before the week was out. If you're not subscribed to our stuff and I don't want to just keep hammering, like, please subscribe, please subscribe. We've been able to get some awesome guests on this show. And in the early going, some of them were by using connections. Now we're hoping to, and the way that we got Frank Vetrano, even though there's some light connections there as well, like, We're able to book that by emailing teams saying, hi, we're the number X podcast on YouTube, whatever. We're number two. Yeah. We're the number two hockey podcast in the United States. Teams see that. I think they're a little more inclined to pay attention. So it does help if you like these interviews to be subscribed to things, to smash whatever buttons, give five stars, et cetera, et cetera. Help us drop our balls on the table. Exactly. We're not doing... That uh, we <laughs> yeah, are we previewing are. <laughs> the oil. The only thing on my table is four cans of Olipop, brother. <laughs> we are previewing the oil shark bowl. Uh, what do you want to see happen tonight, Peter? Uh, I'm like pretty undecided. I want to <laughs> see. I want to see drama for sure. I uh, I feel like I feel sort of guilty rooting for the sharks to pull the upset because like I know it's going to cost at least one guy's job. Right. <laughs> and so McDavid like, will be traded. No way that you would Connor McDavid. <laughs> yeah, gonna... <laughs> what kind of leadership is that? <laughs> there is no way that Jay Woodcroft survives. Uh, I would say, I would say, I don't think he survives the night. If, if, uh, if they lose this game, I think that it will be one of those cases. He gets back to the office and he is fired. And there's a Mark Davis fortune cookie waiting yeah. for him. Yeah, exactly. I, fired I, hot shot. <laughs> I hate, I hate like rooting for that, but as somebody who just like named their podcast after loving chaos, 
It would be the most fun outcome. Yeah, is, like I want look, the Sharks to win in like in overtime. We shouldn't we shouldn't force ourselves to go off brand. Feel what you feel, be what you are as long as it's nice and doesn't disrupt the 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 world. The worst possible outcome is the Oilers kicking the shit out of the Sharks. Right. So I was texting with some uh friends. Basically the gambling advice that I give non-hockey fans are like they'll text me and be like the Oilers, the over under in the Oilers game is too low. Should I bet it? It's always stuff about the Oilers because a bunch of shit happens when You're the Oilers oil play and it's fun to bet on them. And I am an oil man. I have cautioned oiler fan or uh, betting friends to not touch this game because maybe we haven't really talked about this. Maybe the Oilers kind of are sick of whatever this is and the coach and they want some sort of spark and want some sort of change. Maybe they do lay down in this You're game. You're suggesting that they, would they're suck. throwing? Not, they're no, throwing not throwing the game, but this happens all the time where like teams don't like the coach, don't like the situation. And like in a game where they should be extra motivated, they fucking aren't. And then you yeah. see, because how many times do we say like, in this game of all games, how could you come out so flat or whatever? Like they weren't fucking there. Their motivation wasn't there. I'm not saying that that's going to happen. I'm saying we haven't even considered the possibility. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, I, I think that there's not, it doesn't seem from the outside like there's a lot of reason to dislike Jay Woodcroft. I mean, they've been good under him. For, I just feel bad for him. I do That's feel all. sort of bad. Uh, but yeah, I am rooting for the chaos. I am rooting for, uh, I'm rooting just for like kind of a good game. I don't, I don't want to hype up this game and then just have Edmonton kick the shit out of him. Um, you pose a question like, yes. there's been some discussion about how to, like, fix, the how to fix the Oilers because they, they're, they clearly need to be fixed. But the question is, do we want them to be fixed? I posed that to you, and you knew where I was going with it. You were like, of course we don't want to like fix the Oilers. And I'll take it a step further. Can the Oilers be what we thought they could be, which is truly a real contender in the West, without being fixed? I say a fucking thousand percent yes. I think that's a better question. Is like, are they capable of of getting reaching their ceiling and the potential without a fix like do they do they really really need to be fixed you'd like for them to be fixed and by fixed what does that mean does that mean roster changes does that mean just better utilizing the lineup does it mean settling into who the goalie is because i think that for me the only fix i need is getting some stability in net and that's not I don't even know if that's going to save them, though. Like, it's it, obviously you, you stand a better chance and you're not going to lose as many games when your goaltending is average, but their defense is just so porous and they can't defend against the rush to the point where I think that if they even do start getting average goaltending, they're still going to lose a bunch of games. And they like, they're in such a hole right now that they may not be able to get back to uh, the spot where they need to be. I don't, I, I think the they can't defend against the rush point is funny because like you're not supposed to be giving up chances off the rush right. and everything is fuck here they come the other way so yeah. that is just you're right that that is a roster-wide problem though uh, or it's a system-wide yeah. problem i guess I, I don't want the oilers to be fully fixed i want them to correct some of the problems that have prevented them from being um, I don't want to say a, a relevant team because they're still relevant. We're talking about them. We're talking about how much they suck, but like the league's in a better place when the Oilers are competitive. And when Connor McDavid is like 
on a team that's worth paying attention to. Um, so I, I want them to correct some of the problems. I don't want to correct all of the problems because the Oilers are so fun because they're never fully together. Like there's nothing fun about a team that's does everything perfectly. Okay. So let's go blow by blow on just like the overall Oilers. And do we need this to be fixed for them to still be an enjoyable product? Uh, the, you don't want anything to change offensively. You, I, you want you, you want to make sure Connor McDavid's healthy, which I'm not right. sure he's healthy right now. I think that he rushed to come back to play in the Heritage Classic game. Uh, it, it was way ahead of schedule when he came back to play in that game. So I think there still might be something up with him. Uh, you want 100% McDavid and Dreisaitl just because it is funny to watch those two carry the team when they suck. I also love Zach Hyman. Everybody knows that about me. But uh, yeah, so uh, you, you want health. Obviously, that's like a fix that sure is great teams being able to blow the zone so easily and go the other way i want that to remain the remain same because yeah. that is oilers hockey yeah you don't want to get away from your identity electric stuff going both ways you don't hey we just go in there play oilers hockey we want to you want to get on the power play in the first 10 minutes right. one of the things goal. that coaches always say is stick to your game yes the oilers playing good defense is not their game they will be so uncomfortable if they ever get good at defense the only thing about though the oilers sticking to their game and uh certain like defensive minded or I'd say possession minded coaches have this where like you can make mistakes within the system. The only thing about this very fun Oilers system is uh, you can't mistakes make mistakes within the system because your system already involves the other team going the other way a bunch. That's true. And you can't make those mistakes because you're not getting saves. Like <laughs> if you if your system uh, involves the the possibility of making mistakes, you have to have somebody bail out the mistakes and there nobody's bailing out any of the Oilers mistakes at this point. Okay, so just so Keep scoring goals, keep getting on the power play, keep giving up chances against. I would just like if every now and then, and I said it the other day about Skinner, just like make the fucking first save. If you get beat on the rebound, whatever, then we say, ah, oh, the fucking Oilers and everything. But like, it can't be just as clean as you have a chance, puck goes the other way, it's in the back of the net within two seconds. That's no fucking I don't know. I've seen, I've seen them make uh, several first saves and somehow after the first save, like Skinner's in the corner, <laughs> like he's just going too far out of the net. He's uh, he's prospecting. He's he's <laughs> an oil man. That's true. That is true. Um, we, we will say before we head out of here, if the Sharks win tonight, we will most likely be doing an episode tomorrow. We're not scheduled to do an episode on Fridays, but we'll assuming have the assuming the Sharks pull it out. There's going to be some news. There's going to be just plenty of panic, some, plenty of laughs. We have to be in studio and we have to do an episode. I don't know if we'll be able to be in studio, but we will have an episode content, something. There's a good thing about this being as often as it is, is we'll have something on everything as it happens. So mm -hmm. we appreciate you. No stars uh, today. The stars are you, the listener, the viewer, and Connor Bedard and Kevin Korchinski and Frank, Frank Petrano. Petrano. Uh, we've got more guests next week who are excellent. Get on that What Chaos YouTube. Follow us on all the socials. Thank you, Sean, for a killer week while you were moving and going through all sorts of First full chaos. Week. First full week in Boston. Mm -hmm. What yeah. a guy. All right, we'll talk to you next week. Go Oilers. Go Sharks.